Good morning, Kairos. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm, my name is Steve Allen, and my wife and I have been attending Kairos for probably about two years now, and excited and honored to be able to be asked to be here with Pam not here today and Lindsay about to come, so thanks for letting me share with you a few thoughts today. Uh, I've served as a chaplain at the Lovett School for the last 27 years, um, and one of the things that uh, we do every spring at Lovett and some of you, if you want to love it, participated in this, is something called Junior Outdoor Experience, where the juniors, the entire class, goes to Pisgah National Forest and does a four, five-day backpacking trip. Um, might sound fun to some of you, it's awful for some. Um, but the idea is to unplug for a couple of days. There's no phones, no social media, um, and no entertainment, really, of any kind other than hiking. One of the things when you, when you have no entertainment or phones at your disposal, you gotta make your own fun. So one of the things we often do is play games as we're hiking. One of those games is called I'm Going on a Trip. Some of you may have played a game like this before, but I'm Going on a Trip goes like this. If I was the it person in the game, I would come up with something that I'm gonna take on the trip. And in my case, I might say, I'm going on a trip and I'm gonna take super apples. And, uh, and then everybody in the group has to try to figure out the pattern so that they can come along on the trip as well. And so they try to figure that out. So for instance, if Ryan Walker was going on my trip, he might say, I'm going on a trip and I'm gonna bring raspberry waffles. And I would say, you Ryan can come along on my trip. But if Joe Ryan said, I'm gonna bring raspberry waffles, I'd say, you cannot come on my trip. Or if Charlotte Dupree said, I'm gonna go on that trip and I'm gonna take cold diapers, I would say, Charlotte, you can come along on my trip. But Walter Dupree, if he tried to bring cold diapers, could not come on that trip. Perhaps you're starting to see the pattern. If not, then you are one of those people that um, is missing the pattern that others can see. And typically what happens is the number of people that figure it out grows and the number of people that can't figure it out gets smaller and smaller to the point that there's usually one person that can't see the pattern. I've been that person. It's an awful feeling. Everybody else is laughing and they're throwing out the things that they can bring and the person who's the it will go, yes, you can come along on my trip. You also can come along on my trip and you're just madly trying to figure out the pattern and no matter how hard you try, you can't, you can't do it. Um, perhaps you're sitting there right now going, I still don't get it. My name is Steve Allen, so I could bring super apples, first letter, first the name, first letter of the last name. And then you, but it's not always that pattern. You have to figure that pattern out. The thing about this game is nobody wants to be the last person to figure it out, the one who's on the outside looking in. That's an awful feeling, even when you're just playing a game like that. When I was in uh, eighth grade, um, life was good. There's a picture maybe of me, it should come up here in a moment, of me in eighth grade. This was me. And I'd lived in the same town for year, my whole life. And uh, life was good. I had my friends, I had my crowd, I had my sports. Everything was, was the way I wanted it to be. And these are some of my friends. This is Tim and Tom and Jeff and Dean. It was my, it was my, my group, my crowd, my friends. And everything was great in eighth grade. Then my dad came home one day and came up to my bedroom and said, hey, we're moving. I was like, moving? Like houses? He was like, no, we're leaving 
this town and we're moving to another state. And when he said that, I was devastated. And all of a sudden I went from being a guy who had a crowd to a guy who had no crowd. I remember the first day of school after we moved, I, I went to, the, to, the, uh, to school and I went to the lunchroom and I remember standing there all by myself along the wall, just I had no idea how, how lunch worked. I had no idea, everybody knew each other, everybody was sitting at tables, and I stood there and just watched it all unfold, and for the first time in my life, I was out. I wasn't in. Nobody was bullying me, nobody was rude to me, nobody you know, treated me poorly, it's just that nobody noticed me. And for the first time in my life, I was on the outside looking in, it's sort of like those, you know, when you've got something stuck between your teeth and everybody can see it but you, and you don't know what's going on, and you're looking around, and everybody sees it, and you don't. And it was that feeling at that moment. This experience of, of uh, being out is something that people have been wrestling with since the beginning of time. The Bible was written to a community of people who shared common beliefs and practices, and they felt that if they would serve God and obey his commandments, that they would be in. They would be the chosen people of God. Both Jewish and Christian texts talk about how loving and serving God sort of puts you in God's family. You follow his commands, and that's a good thing. And yet one of the things that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, do is this. The biblical writers were adamant about the fact that the goal should not be to get to the in crowd and then forget about everyone else. They understood that it's human nature to want to get in and then circle the wagons once you're there. As long as you're in, that's good. But the biblical writers are like, no, not so. The Bible has a word for this. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word was ger. And ger is a word which means stranger. It's, it can be interpreted as other things as well. But this word stranger, this word ger, is used over and over again. Over 80 times in 26 different books is this word ger used. And the idea, the book of Leviticus says it this way. The text says this, when a stranger resides in your land, you shall not oppress the stranger. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the strangers as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is an empathy text. The idea of this text is that it's to remind people that they too at one time were out. And it's like, remember what it felt like to be out? Remember when you were playing that game? What it felt like to be the last person who couldn't figure it out? Remember when you were slaves in Egypt and you weren't in? I want you to remember that feeling. Because that might help you want to bring other people in who are out. I want you to look for strangers in your midst and find a way to bring them in. In the New Testament, Jesus was constantly expanding the notion of what it means to be in, to be blessed. To be typical, think of being blessed, which means is your life is good, you've got your possessions, you've got your house, you've got your family, you've got your friends. And yet the text that Jesus refers to in this uh, Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who are sad, blessed are you when you're excluded, when you're out. I mean, think about there's no more out group of people than the people that Jesus references here. And yet I think what Jesus was doing was two things. First, I think he was calling to those who were out and saying, you're in. God sees you. I see you. You're a part of the family. He let them know that they were seen, that they were loved, and they were blessed. They were part of God's family. But I think he was also extending a challenge to all those who are in 
and saying, you need to do that same thing. You need to reach out and bless those who are out. It's an empathy text, a text of care, calling for us to reach out to the stranger, to the gare, to people who are out. Look, human nature is to want to be in. It's normal, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we always need to remember where there's an in, it means there's an out, by definition. There are so many parts of our lives where there's a tendency to get our group and then forget about the gear, to forget about the stranger, the people who are out. There have been a number of movies um, about high school years. You've probably seen some of them. High School Musical, Breakfast Club, Mean Girls. There's a new version of Mean Girls, I guess, coming out. Stranger Things. And one of the things, reason I think these movies are so popular is because the tale is as old as time. And that's a, that's a particular time in life when the ins and the outs are so obvious to us. The clicks form and they happen. And we watch that. And I think we watch it with a sense of empathy because we remember, ooh, I remember that feeling. I remember what it meant like, what it felt like to be out and not to be in. And we've all experienced it. And yet I don't think high school is the only place where this plays out. I think this sense of in and outness, it applies in so many aspects of our lives. Let's start with families. In a class that I teach at Love It, I teach the Old Testament, and one of the classes, uh, one of the lessons when we get to Cain and Abel early in the study, as I'll ask the students, raise your hand if you think your parents play favorites. Now, if there was a group of parents sitting there and I asked that question, I think we would all be like, not us, not a chance. We love all our kids the same. But when I ask students that question, 90% of them raise their hands. And that includes my own kids. We've asked them, do you think we have favorites? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dad, Mom and Dad love this one more than that one. And we protest and we deny, and we're like, no, that's not so, that's not the case, we love you all. Doesn't matter, 90% is a pretty jarring number. It seems that when two or three are gathered together, it's a natural thing for people to feel out and some people to feel in. And so we've talked about this, my wife and I, what, what do we do about that? And we can argue until we're blue in the face, we'll say, no, we love you all, but it doesn't matter. So what do we do about that? Well, one of the things that we've tried to do as parents is to be sure that all of our kids feel blessed and, and brought in in different ways. Because just telling them, no, we're not favorites, doesn't work, but showing them with words of action and blessing and care is, is maybe it's the best we can do and to make them feel that they are in and they are loved. Let's stay in the family. Let's talk about in-laws. I'm sure we've heard the jokes about mother-in-laws. You might find them funny unless you are a mother-in-law and you probably find it not funny at all. But I think those jokes are rooted in the fact that sons and daughters-in-law have a hard time breaking in to a family system. I have a new daughter-in-law, my son got married um, in September, and over the summer I sat down with her and I said, look, I want to do everything I can to help you feel in. I want to do everything I can because I know what's gonna happen is we're gonna sit around the dinner table and we're gonna tell stories, family stories, and you're not gonna know those stories. And we're gonna have inside jokes and you're not gonna know those jokes. And I wanna do everything I can to help you feel that you are a part of this new family system. 
I wanted her, I want her to feel seen and known and heard because I'm a son-in-law and I too know what it can feel like to feel like a stranger in a strange land, in a strange new family system. Work. Work can sometimes be a place where the people who've worked there for years become insular. They eat together, they stand around the water cooler together, they go out for drinks after work together, and the new people are like, I don't know, what, I don't know how this works. I don't know, you know, I don't know everybody. I don't know all the systems. I don't know, I'm not invited to things. I don't feel in. And maybe perhaps the call is for us to remember what it felt like to be new in a work scenario, a new situation, and be the one that reaches out and blesses those new people when they come in. It's MLK weekend, perhaps there's no greater weekend to, to honor the legacy than this weekend, and also to think about someone who is trying to increase the, um, the inness, the, the being brought into what it's like to feel in and not be excluded and be out. This weekend we honor that legacy and we recognize how we are called to include people, to make them feel in. There are dozens more examples I could give of ins and outs in our lives, but I'll add this, this final note that even churches, and perhaps sometimes often churches, are places where people feel in and people feel out. When the longtime members arrive, do we often make a beeline for the people that we know best? Sure we do, and there's nothing wrong with seeing people that we love and care for, but perhaps we're called to widen our gaze, to see the people who are out, the people who maybe are trying this church out for the first time, and they look a little awkward and uncomfortable, and maybe they sit by themselves in the back or on the side, and they get up and they leave. We are called to make them feel blessed, to make them feel like they belong and not a, that they're a stranger. This past summer, um, we had a family reunion. My large family, extended family, was great. Everyone was there. My uh, brother and sisters and, and their kids and us and our kids, we were all there. And there was one point in the um, event where we all gathered together for a family picture. And uh, I believe the picture will be put up here. There's the family picture, okay, the family reunion picture. There's only one problem with this picture. I'm not sure if you can see, but um, I'm not in it. And, and the thing is, I am in it, but I'm just not in this picture. So my mom, who's not great with Facebook, posted this online on Facebook. And I looked at it and I was like, I'm sure I was there. I just, where am I? And so I said, Mom, what's going on? Like, you posted this picture of our family, and I'm not in it. And she goes, oh, uh, she goes, I don't know how this thing works, you know? And she, what she did was she accidentally cropped me out. Um, and, and she had no idea. Somehow she took the picture and po posted it and, and, you know, splattered it up there on Facebook, and I'm not in it. But I will tell you this. Shortly thereafterwards, uh, my niece, my brother's daughter, who is a teacher in middle school, she teaches core or band in middle school. And I think because of that, she's attuned and she knows all about what it feels like to be out and in. She works in a setting where those outs and ins are so obvious that she wrote me and she sent me a text and she sent me a picture. And the picture was a different picture, that one. 
And she said, Uncle Steve, I want you to know I have your picture in my office, and you're in. I get choked up just telling that story. My mom didn't mean it. I'm not mad at my mom. But what I love <laughs> is that my niece made sure I was seen and blessed. She did something about it. She saw me as being out, and she did something about it. And for that, I truly felt blessed. So I want to close by making something clear. There's nothing wrong with being in. Everybody wants to be in. In is good. But being in can't be the final goal. It can't be the ultimate destination. We shouldn't seek to get in and then close the doors behind us. Thank God I'm in. As long as I get there, I don't care who's out. I just needed to get in. So I want to offer this challenge today. When you're in, look for people who are out. Do something about it. Look for a way to widen the picture so that others can get in too. This, I believe, is a more blessed world. Amen.